Welcome to Today on Broadway for Tuesday, August 1st, 2017. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. We are going to have a slightly different show today as one... Last night, James was finally over at the Hudson Theater seeing the Broadway production of 1984. And then, of course, we also had the sad news that Pulitzer Prize winning playwright as well as actor Sam Shepard passed away. And then on Sunday, after recording this week on Broadway, James and Jenna Tessa Fox interviewed the wonderful and delightful Janet DeCall, who will soon be appearing back on Broadway in Prince of Broadway from the Manhattan Theater Club. So first, let's talk about yesterday's very sad news. My Broadway World colleagues first broke the news that Sam Shepard had passed away on July 27th at his home in Kentucky where he was surrounded by his children and his sisters. He was 73 years old and he had been suffering from the effects of ALS. He is survived by his children Jesse, Hannah, and Walker and his sisters Sandy and Roxanne. Shepard is the author of over 40 plays as well as several books of short stories, essays, and memoirs. Shepard received the Pulitzer Prize for Drama in 1979 for his play Buried Child and was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor for his portrayal of pilot Chuck Yeager in The Right Stuff. In addition to Buried Child, he is also known for plays like The Rock Garden, Cowboy Mouth, The Tooth of Crime, Savage Love, Fool for Love, Simpatico, and probably his most well-known work, True West. In addition to his work as a playwright, he also appeared on screens large and small, appearing in over 60 films and TV shows, including the film adaptations of Fool for Love, Steel Magnolias, Hamlet, and August Osage County. His unique talent will surely be missed. Godspeed, Mr. Shepard. Yesterday, I was fortunate enough to talk to Broadway Radio's resident historian, Peter Felicia, about the impact that Sam Shepard had on the theatrical community. Peter, looking kind of now as Sam Shepard has passed away, looking back at the generations of playwrights and actors that he's influenced, where do you think his very specific dark humor, surrealist kind of playwright, where does his, I guess, what is his legacy uh, moving forward uh, now that he's passed away? Well, I think he really made uh, the off-Broadway theater substantially tougher than it had been. Uh, he was a very no-holes-barred type of playwright who went into fields that nobody thought of going before. I mean, literally, there are plays, there's a play where people bounce off the walls, and I mean that um, 100% literally. So, uh, yeah, but people were willing to really fight it out in Sam Shepard's plays, and that's what made them most remarkable. And yet... And yet, what I remember most about Sam Shepard that I will never forget as long as I live is a conversation I'd had with him. Uh, Fool for Love was going to be done at the McCarter Theater, and I had to interview him, and uh, it was very hard to track him down. But he did call me, though he was driving uh, while it was happening, and somehow I really got the impression uh, he, he really he might have been uh, you know in a Volkswagen, but um, I really got the impression there he was driving along uh, the Wyoming highways with nobody else on the road in a convertible, maybe a Jaguar, maybe a Corvette, that type of thing. That's what I always pictured. But he was talking to me; he was very friendly, and he was talking about a certain date 
that happened to him, and it had something to do with the movies. And I said, um, was this at the beginning of your movie career or in the middle? And then I realized what I was doing, and he picked it up too, and he says, what do you mean at the end of my movie career? And he laughed <laughs> wildly. Um, and just uh, the laughter really said, you know, everybody goes through this. You start off, you, you get going, you get big, you get smaller, you get ignored. Yeah, and I, it was just so wonderful to hear him have a sense of humor about himself. And that's the way I will always remember Sam Shepard because it was such a human thing, because some of the things that people do in the plays are entirely inhuman. Yeah, there, there are definitely a lot of the shows, especially thinking of things uh, like like Buried Child or, or something like that, where they're deplorable would not be a thing that would uh, that someone would raise an eyebrow about if you were describing some of the stuff he's written. And yet his plays seem to have connected with a whole scope of people wide-ranging people today as you know after we had the news that he passed away just so much uh love and admiration for him has poured out do do you think that he's or is it, as you start looking and seeing plays whether it's off broadway or on broadway or around the country are you able to see the threads of what he started like you talked about with these kind of more avant-garde things off broadway are you able to see the threads that he started coming into the new generation of playwrights as well Oh, I definitely think so. Um, He really, you know, people have always talked about the fact that uh, Broadway is this elitist art uh, that, uh, so Shepard really fought against that. And so many of the playwrights we've had afterwards, which have tried to shock us, um, certainly saw Sam Shepard plays and said, that's the type of thing I want to do. I want to grab life by the balls, just as he has done. And, uh, you know, I I certainly in Curse of the Starving Class, that's the first time I ever saw anybody urinate on stage. I mean, and we all, I I do it. I'm sure you do it, Matt. So, I mean, it is real life. (laughs) I mean, of course, if you take the commercial comedy, Butterflies Are Free, where the the mother says, uh, yes, um, diarrhea is real life, but I don't want to see it on stage. Sam Shepard came as close to that as you possibly could in Curse of the Starving Class. But, you know, I mean, I have seen um, his plays done all over the country, even in Alaska, in Russian. You know, Donald Trump the audience yeah no he wasn't i'm sorry i'm teasing <laughs> but um but really in russian seriously um they i guess they hopped over it, it wasn't that far as Saren palin uh told us that um it's not that far at all but um he uh that to see that audience which was uh, not an audience that was used to seeing plays in russian and following it on subtitles you could really see them paying attention i always look around uh, whenever i go to any play to see if the audience is paying attention are the husbands asleep you know what's going on and i'm telling you that audience was riveted by what was going on true rest is one of his milder plays plays, you know, um, certainly a lie of the mind and tooth of crime. My God, you know, I mean, um, those things are really tough, tough shows, but, um, I've, I've seen them in New Mexico where, um, some of them, in fact, I believe mm-hmm. have been set. Um, I've seen them in Texas. I saw one at, uh, the Alabama Shakespeare festival, which, uh, in their small theater, needless to say, because he wasn't off Broadway playwright. He really came to Broadway. He, um, he has 44 credits, although he contributed to one of Broadway's longest running shows, mm-hmm. you know. You know what that is? I do. Oh, Calcutta. 
That's right. That's right. Uh, <laughs> uh, all Calcutta has been very circumspect in telling us exactly who wrote what. Um, no authors are credited to any of the sketches, so we can only guess which ones uh, they were. That doesn't mean I'm urging for a revival of O Calcutta so that we can then go and say, oh, that must be the Sam Shepard one. Um, it has been published. That will do. And we can all guess on that. But um, but I hope he made a little bit of money from uh, O Calcutta because um, he certainly didn't make a lot of money, comparatively speaking, from his plays um, because Off-Broadway doesn't pay that well. And uh, I hope the residuals that came in from all the other um, regional productions uh, helped quite a bit. But uh, I know his movie career, even when it started, even when it was in the middle, <laughs> was enough to certainly pay the bills. Absolutely. And, and to kind of wrap this up here, Peter, I wonder when you talk to him about his acting career, I, I think maybe he, I could, as I kind of started to go back and look, maybe just like one New York stage credit. Did he ever mention to you in that conversation or did you hear otherwise why he was so much more comfortable acting on screen than on stage? No, I can't say that I asked that question, uh, but I did get the impression that because he had this rugged type of look, he was actually recruited to be in the movies as opposed to try to be in the movies. It wasn't a goal of his, but um, at a party one night, somebody, I don't remember who said, you know, you'd be great in such and such a role and oh, what the hell, let's do it. And uh, for a while there, he was really doing very well. So so that's uh, that's Sam Shepard to me. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for your time and uh, uh, we'll hear you again on Sunday on This Week on Broadway. Thanks so much. Thanks, Bye. Peter. Bye-bye. Thank you again to Peter Felicia for giving us some perspective and some personal anecdotes about the late, great Sam Shepard. Now, here's James and Jenna Tessa Fox's conversation with Prince of Broadway star Janet DeCall. With us today, we have a very special guest. Janet DeCall is with us. Uh, Broadway fans know Janet from Good Vibrations, In the Heights, Wonderland, and the upcoming Prince of Broadway. So, Janet, thank you for joining us on Broadway Radio and talking with us. Oh, goodness. Thank you for having me on. I'm, I'm thrilled to speak to you all. Thank you so much. So, I'd like to start. How did you get your equity card? And how did you, what was your first Broadway show like? Uh, well, I got my equity card in uh, South Florida. Um, I had moved to South Florida from California uh, midway through high school and uh, made friends in high school who are now actually on Broadway as well. Um, but this one friend in particular, Henry Gainza, he, uh, he's in On Your Feet at the moment. Um, he was doing a show off Broadway in New York called Four Guys Named Jose and Una Mujer Named Maria. And they were bringing the show down to South Florida, which is where we were from and where we met. And um, he called me up one day. I was working actually for Gloria and Emilio Estefan in their recording studio in the production department. And um, I hadn't seen Henry for a couple of years because he was up here in New York doing his thing. And so he called me at the studio out of the blue and he said, uh, we're bringing this show down to South Florida and uh, they're replacing our leading lady. Uh, I haven't seen you in a while, but would you be interested in coming in and auditioning for the show? And I got the part and uh, I got my equity card at the Actors Playhouse in Coral Gables. Uh, and, you know, that's where things really began for me. The producer of that show, Dasha Epstein, uh, was really adamant about me coming up to New York and auditioning for shows. So uh, she set up some 
some meetings for me. And, you know, I was so green. It was my first production ever. And she has me going in for shows like Rent and just things that were so out of my league at the time. Um, but, you know, I, I've been very lucky to have very, very supportive people around me sort of uh, guiding me along the way. Um, and that's how things started for me. And can you tell us about Good Vibrations? That was your Broadway debut, am I right? Yes, that's correct. So, uh, funny enough, my first sort of real audition when I came up to New York, Henry again, <laughs> my little angel Henry, he was doing a reading of a musical at the time called In the Heights. And so uh, it was nothing. It was Lynn putting up essentially the second reading of the show, which is when I came up on that trip to do all these auditions. And the first audition that I went in on was for in the Heights at this little black box, uh, theater at the basement of the drama. <laughs> so that was the first audition, but my first, so that I sort of had been with in the Heights essentially from the beginning. Um, and so we would work on it. I would go back to South Florida, work on it again, go back to South Florida. So I was living in Miami and I would come up and audition for shows. Um, and in one of those auditions, I booked good vibrations. Uh, and that was, that was my Broadway debut. And there, you know, it's so funny to see in hindsight, uh, so many people in that cast have gone on to do such wonderful things like Krista Rodriguez, Titus Burgess, Chad Kimball. Uh, and you know, we were just, we were so young and many of us were making our Broadway debuts together. So it was a really, really exciting time. What was it like? I know that, that right around the time you were doing Good Vibrations, you were doing, uh, you did the first reading of In the Heights. Can you talk about what that was like in its earliest days? How was it different from what it became? Because you were with it all the way through. I got to see you as uh, as Nina. So you yes. were there for the entire journey. Can you tell us what how it grew and changed with from that early time in 05 to, uh, to the um, end of the run? Goodness, if you know, the thing that, that always held the show together, it always had this really magical element around the music and the heart of the show, which obviously is Lynn. Um, so that was very, very, very apparent from the get-go. Anyone that would come in and participate in any of the readings, which is so taken by this piece and what it was saying and the vitality in the music and its infectiousness, if that's a word, um, and so that, that part of it was always present. And so when we would get together to do either a reading or a workshop or some sort of working on the show, uh, everybody was just so thrilled to be in the room. And when the week or the month was done, we'd all be devastated <laughs> because they wouldn't get to see each other until who knows when the next incarnation of the show was going to happen. Um, early, early on, it was a very, very different story. Um, Again, my friend Henry, uh, there was a sort of love triangle, and he played uh, this character named Lincoln, who was written out of the show because there were so many characters um, involved. And so uh, Lincoln was written out, but he had a crush on Benny, and he was also the elder brother to Nina. So that whole thing was going on, and that got written out, and there were other characters who, who had been in it from the get-go that hot flushed were just flushed out um slowly uh the daniela and carla thing happened a little later on as well so 
you know, it was just it really interesting to see how the show developed and became this thing that it did. Uh, but always essentially having having the heart of of this community and the people and and the vibrancy in the music. Lovely. Shifting gears to Prince of Broadway. Uh, this is your first Broadway show in six years. Uh, how does it feel to be back? So exciting. So exciting. And there's a deep sense of gratitude, newfound gratitude, I would say, for this community and for the theater. I stepped away for a little bit just to connect with family. I moved out to California um, and spent some really wonderful time with with my father and my brother and very, very, very dear friends that I have out there and gave that a go. But, you know, the theater is where my heart is. And, and I, I, it's so funny because you, you know, if you follow the voice and the thing that that's guiding you, that's where the magic happens. And so I sort of was at a flux and very going back and forth about coming back to New York city. And when I did, uh, one of the first auditions that I went on was for Prince of Broadway and I ended up getting it and it was just a confirmation that this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. Can you talk about that audition? How did you get cast in the show? I know it had a full cast in Japan, uh, but you're yeah. joining it now. Can you talk about that? Sure. So it was, uh, I want to say mid, mid-January, early February, maybe March, um, during the craze of pilot season. So I, I had like four or five auditions sometimes a day. And um, it's, it's just so funny when things are meant for you, they, they happen. So I was, uh, they asked, asked me to come in, but I was doing a reading out in Los Angeles for that week in particular. And um, my agent was like, look, they really want to see you. Can you come back early? So I changed my flight to come back early, but on that return flight, I was deathly ill <laughs> with a cold. Oh, no. So I changed my flight. Oh. I came back and I had a cold. So I couldn't go in for that audition uh, after having already changed my flight, which cost me a pretty penny. And then so they said, okay, we'll, we'll see her. This is, I think, a Wednesday. They said, we're doing our final comeback from Friday. Can she come in on Friday? So I was still ill, but I went in on that Friday and I had three songs that I had sort of started looking at. But, you know, when you're sick, you don't really have the energy to yeah. <laughs> sing show tunes. <laughs> so, um, so, but, you know, I sort of looked over the material as much as I could. And I was familiar with some of the material, obviously. And so I went in um, not feeling 100%. But, uh, and that audition is really funny because... Uh, I was sort of out of it and, you know, in the room are all of these incredible, this just unbelievable creative team. And, um, you know, I sort of just let things go and, and, and sang the songs and fumbled through and they were very, very generous and kind and said, thank you. And I walked out the door and I was like, okay, well, that's another one that I didn't get. (laughs) But funny enough, yeah, you know, these things, you just have no idea. You have no idea. You have no idea. So it, I was home, uh, I want to say maybe a month and a half later, and both my agent and manager called. And when they call together, it's always a very good sign. <laughs> <laughs> so I had gone on so many auditions that I didn't. I had no idea. I was like, which one is it? You know? And so they were like, you got Prince Broadway. And I, my, I was walking down 
my street and my knees buckled and I started laughing hysterically oh. because it was, well, I just, it was so out of my mind, you know, so like a, that's not happening, you know? And yeah. so when it did, it just, it took my breath away. And just, you know, to be in a room with all these unbelievable, just unbelievable people, it's, it's such a blessing. So tell us about, what? you You talked about such an amazing creative team, but you didn't say who was in that room for the final callback. What? And you, you're walking into a final callback cold. So who was in, <laughs> who was in the room there? So uh, Susan Stroman was there. Uh, Jason Robert Brown was there. We had Tom, uh, our book writer, uh, Tommy Thompson, which we love to call uh-huh. him, David Thompson. <laughs> um, it was, and Tara Rubin, and then... Uh, the heads at MTC were there, um, and they were recording the they were recording the audition. So, uh, Hal Prince was not there, but uh, the rest of the rest of the team was there. So, uh, ha- I mean, Tara Rubin. I think Tara cast in the Heights. Am I right there? No, that was actually pretty Telsey. It was Telsey's office, but did, you knew you knew Tara. I'm not sure. I'm trying to think of other people in that room that you knew previously. Oh yeah, I knew uh, I know Tara from just coming in to audition yeah. for her mm-hmm. for for multiple uh, yeah. projects. So there were some familiar faces, uh, but it's still quite overwhelming. <laughs> yeah, especially if you're not feeling well and it's, and they're at final callbacks, so they kind of have an idea of who they're looking for anyway at that point. And then you're coming in cold and you're not having a good day. You're hoping that somebody behind that desk, is, behind the table knows you and you're telling from something else (laughs) well they you know they must have seen something that they liked yeah sure (laughs) um and you know you go in and you do the best that you can and that's really that's really all you can do is in those situations where you're not feeling at your best um you you go in and you give what you have and yeah and i that's that's really all you can do do you know, you mentioned that they were recording it. Were they recording it for internal use or were they recording it for some sort of documentary or? No, no, no. They were recording their audition to show it to Hal Prince. Hal, just for internal use. Not, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah he, yeah. he was not in the room. Can you tell us what songs you perform in the show? Oh, my God. I have the best songs. <laughs> I've heard. <laughs> I've heard. I yes. Go on. I feel like everybody feels that way about their part in the show but everybody I mean you know you can't go wrong with the show it's just hit after hit after hit after hit um and the the vast the just the canon of work that this man has been able to dip his hands into it just it's so unbelievable but I get to sing um possibilities from it's a bird it's a plane it's superman which is really fun. I get to uh, sing the Avida material, so I'm singing uh, Buenos Aires and Don't Cry for Me, Argentina. Uh, And I get to sing Spider-Woman from Spider-Woman, because of a Spider-Woman. Yes. Which is long overdue for a a revival. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have a favorite? Do you have a favorite (laughs) among those? You know, it's hard to say because they're they're each so different, and they each have real. They're they're all just really magical in their own way, and what they're what uh, they're doing, writing wise and directorially wise on stage, it's just 
It's so beautiful. So it's kind of great that that I get to sort of stretch this way, you know, and, and we're asked to play multiple parts in one night. It's kind of an actor's dream sure. uh, to, to be singing this material and to be to be asked to play multiple parts uh, within one production. Let me ask you a question about the comparison between rehearsing for this show versus rehearsing for the other three Broadway shows that you have. Um, It seems from the outside that this is a much more laid-back rehearsal and tech process. Um, uh, And like I say, it seems that. What what is it like for you? I mean, you have um, very familiar material and such a group of pros and they've done it before in Japan and things like that. What's this process been like? Well, uh, it's funny you say that because there is a sense of ease around the tech, uh, the rehearsal process um, because of those reasons. Many of the, well, a handful of the castmates have already done it. So uh, they're very, very familiar with their material. And those of us who are new have, you know, been playing catch up to them and sort of meeting the bar that they've already set performance-wise. So in a way, for them, it's, it's, uh, it's, I think it's much, much easier in that they've, they've already performed the material in front of an audience, so they know uh, what their performances are like. For those, I can, for myself, I can only speak, I can tell you that having that bar set has made me have to work much harder, much quicker, because the level of performance, you know, I'm meeting their level of already polished performance. So um, for myself, and, and I actually do quite a bit in the show outside of the numbers that I perform, uh, I think I have something like 14 costume changes. <laughs> and the role that I'm, it's, it's insane. So the role that I'm playing it was actually a combination of two roles in Japan. Mm. Um, Ah. So I've got quite a bit to do. Once the show begins, if I'm not on stage, I'm basically changing backstage. I think my (laughs) longest break between one number and the next is something like 12 minutes. And and that's at the top of the show. Um, And then once I, after I do possibilities, it's just go, 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 go up until the end of the show, pretty much. Um, So... The the show backstage, which we're now in tech and figuring out, it's mayhem back there. I mean, at one point, I have five dressers, like, stripping me from one costuming and putting me into the next because the quick change happens so quickly. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and uh, it's exciting and nerve-wracking and all of those things, but, you know, it's what makes makes theater so magical and that actually is i think a, i'm not going to give it away because it's a really uh it's a really sort of impressive moment in the show how that change happened so fast mm, that's great nice you are uh now as we talking right now you are in tech and looking forward to uh getting in front of preview audiences and then out out in the public uh uh, are you going to be able to, because it's a, I think it's a limited run, isn't it? 
Yes, right now I think we're open until uh, late October with a possible extension into November. So uh, are you going to be able to get all your f- friends and family in to see this thing? It's a limited run in a small oh, theater. I'm... and Are you kidding? We're <laughs> <laughs> over the moon. It's funny. I'm like, I've got to make a schedule just to be able to house all of the people who will be coming uh, <laughs> in nice. to stay. Yes, it's always so great, you know, and, and uh, I'm so, so lucky. I have such an incredible network of of support with family and friends. And, you know, it's this is really, I, I, I love what I do, but to be able to share it with them and mm. for them to be so excited and, and to come and see, you know, they the people in my life have known me for so long and they know what the theater means to me. So it's a celebration, not just for me, but for them as well. Sure. You're stepping into some you know, major shoes here with the people originating these roles, Patti Lapone, <laughs> Cheetah Rivera. How are you making all these classic songs your own? You just do them, you know, and I'm standing on the shoulders of incredible women and uh, this is music that I've been listening to my entire life, and I can't believe it. I can't believe I get to stand on the balcony in that white dress. It just, <laughs> you know, we were teching that moment. It's often been a dream of mine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just, it, I had a moment up there sort of privately because I just, it's that thing that you envision as a child and, these like these iconic moments in the theater that you can only dream of, you know. And so there it was happening, and I'm standing there, and I've got the wig on, and I've got the red lipstick, and I'm wearing the Christian Dior design that's so beautifully made by really might be long, and it, I it really just sort of knocked me over. Uh, I can't believe it. I really can't believe it, and. Again, this is like, it all goes back to sort of my family and their support. And, um, you know, my parents left Cuba and they didn't have the opportunities to do what they love to do. And they essentially raised us saying, your only responsibility is to follow your dreams and do what you love. And I'm, yeah, and I'm on this balcony playing this iconic Latin woman. And, you know, my dad's going to be my date for opening night and he's gonna see his little girl up on this thing you know he would drive me to the bus stops because I wanted to go to a performing arts high school he would wake up at 5 30 in the morning to drive me to the bus stop to make sure that I got to school on time so that I can study what I love and it just it's so full circle and it's 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 just so much bigger than I am and the gratitude around it is just so profound so I'm I'm just in awe of it all. I really am. <laughs> that is lovely. Well, Janet, thank you for spending time out of your on your day off of uh, Tech Week. Oh, my pleasure. And uh, spending time talking with us about everything. We really appreciate it, and we're really excited about uh, Prince of Broadway. And we'll have to chat with you and catch up with you right after opening night, seeing how it went for you. Yes. That would be wonderful. 
Thanks for listening to this somewhat unusual today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. And you can find me on Twitter at BWW Matt and subscribe to Something Like a Pop on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. I believe that James and I will be back to talk to you tomorrow. <laughs>